Welcome to Life and Leadership. I believe in creating community, connections, and creating space to be curious. This podcast aims to take you on a conscious journey through quality, diverse, innovative content and conversation. My hope is that we create a circle of influence, a transcendency of compassionate leadership in the world and wider universe. Welcome to episode 18, From Where's Dad to Here's Dad, with master coach and author David Foster. He authored the book, Where's Dad? We're going to engage in a rich conversation around leadership philosophies, family relationships, and how to enjoy all life has to offer at the intersection of work and life balancing. What a year 2020 gifted the world with experiences that led us to embrace, unembrace, re-embrace. So we've embraced opportunities nested in the challenges of 2020. We've unembraced the office and work virtually and remotely from home in combination with time with ourselves and families, more than we've ever had. We've really moved on from where's dad to here's dad. Dad has moved from the hierarchy of the office to the hierarchy of working from home, being in the same space, no longer separate, 24 and 7. Dad's here, more present, hopefully, than ever. Dad's upskilling. Dads are upskilling in their home life as navigators and cultivators. Lastly, we re-embrace. 2020 has given us the chance to re-embrace the velocity of change. How do you handle it when it all hits your world? Working virtually and remotely calls forth the opportunity to create diverse social web networks and conscious engagement with the inner world of home life and the outer world of work demands. David shares his secret dreams and some great stories around his journey as a partner as a parent, facing his inner resistance, upskilling and having heart-to-heart present connections with his children and family. Come join us on a journey through life and leadership with David Foster, dad, master coach and author. David, I celebrate your presence in the world as a master coach who's dedicated his life, to quote you, being a present parent, creating a loving family unit, two thumbs up, and you know, dedicating to inspiring people all over the world to connect with themselves and families. That is so important, definitely aligns with my values. So I would really like it if you could share about your journey. Yeah. And around that sort of realization where you wanted to inspire business owners and ambitious quotes, again, I'm quoting you, to connect with themselves and families. How long have we got? Um, I'll start with it with a really sort of poignant moment, really, which is where my, my first son was born and that was in 2011 so my wife and i have been married since 2007 been trying for a family for several several years and experienced several miscarriages and lots of heartbreak in that particular area and my first son was born at a time when i was under serious pressure professionally with my business and there was there was no balance in life it was all work 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 and he came along and i had this kind of epiphany as in oh Oh, okay. So there's more to life than this business, right? And I, I said there and then I said, as I was kind of holding him, you know, skin to skin in the first moments of him arriving, I said to myself, this is, this is the change now. This is where you're going to 
you're not going to be the guy who comes home grumpy and stressed. You, you've got a child now. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to be in the business that I was in, which I'd co-created. So that was, that was the catalyst. And then from that, I kind of was very fortunate to, to start to you know, dive into to being a dad and realize there's so many benefits to, to investing time and attention into that, that sacred relationship with your children. Not without challenge, because it's bloody hard as well. It's not, it's not all roses, but the gains were, were huge, really. So I then I realized that, you know, through my experience, and I'm, I'm you know, paraphrasing, keeping this short, but in my experience is that there are loads of parents, mums and dads, to, you know, children come along and they see it in such a way that it's actually taking things away from their life, not adding things in. And I wanted to try and give people a slightly different perspective. Actually, you know, having children can, can be a really enriching experience if you, if you surrender to it and kind of go in to, to be a present parent. Beautifully put. I will share my story. My first husband, God rest his soul, he died when I was 27. And we had three beautiful children, five, six, and nine months old. And he always said, and he died suddenly and unexpectedly, he always said that his children were the gold and silver of the world. So he would only work the hours the older two were in school. So he would drop them to school and he'd work and then he'd pick them up and he'd play. Or if there was something urgent, they'd go to work too and learn essential skills. So, you know, my children very early got a chance to go to work with dad. <laughs> but he, the gift that he left me in his passing was today is the present and therein lies the gift. And he absolutely loved being with his children. And he always said if he couldn't afford us, he didn't deserve us. So he maintained a top-notch quality of life, but not at the expense of his family. So I think he would have celebrated this book so much. It's a message that's very much needed. You cannot replace your children. You can pivot in a career, though. Really well said. Now, I'm sorry to hear about your, your loss. Thank you. Um, and also, I think it's actually beautiful that, you know, you, you've brought that memory and that legacy into this, this conversation. It's such a, such a powerful message that, you, you know, was shared with you those years ago. So that's, that's beautiful. Thank you, David. And I'll just add to that. My youngest son, who was nine months old when his dad passed, oh, just makes my heart sing. He is exactly the same kind of dad. He, he is up early and doing breakfasts with his son. He's home to do stories in bed and bath. He's very invested in a quality relationship with his wife. And, you know, ups and downs happen all relationships, but he's in for the long term and he is bringing his best self, just like his dad. And he was nine months old when his dad died. So, you know, for me, it just makes my heart, again, sing to see the next generation carrying on this type of legacy without having really known his father in person and physically. He carries so much of his beautiful attributes and relationship-leaning skills, which is such a blessing, such a blessing. Although he's human, I'm sure, you know, there's plenty enough challenges. (laughs) But for me, as as his mother and also carrying a lot of grief around the loss of his father, it just makes my heart sing that he carries on the same tradition without having his father present in person. He's definitely very present in spirit and how my son carries his family life out and the work-life balance. Absolutely. 
I think that, that's really, really great to hear. And one, one of the teachers I've worked with closely over the last few years is a guy called Dr. John D. Martini. Oh, if you've heard one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. You know, he said, he said nothing is ever gained or lost, it's only transformed. You know, it sounds like, you know, even though you lost your husband, the kind of traits that he had, his way of being, could have quite easily been manifested into your youngest. That, that's, you know, very possible according to Dr. John. Oh, absolutely. And I see him in all my grandchildren. My um, oldest grandson is an amazing musician like his grandfather was. So that's the third generation. It's wonderful to see these beautiful legacies and traits coming through in very creative and authentic ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually, you triggered a story I want to share that could be quite useful for your audience, actually. But you mentioned about your son you know, being there at bath time and stories, those sort of things. And <laughs> I think this will, this will speak to a lot of the people who listen to this, potentially. You know, when my first son, son came along, I had this epiphany, like I mentioned. Um, and the model I had for a dad was that you go out and work really long hours. You're out early, you go and work long hours, you come home late, and you don't, you don't really get involved with the kids. You might take them to the football or soccer at the weekend and do a few things, and you'll have a holiday now and again. But that's woman's work. So when my first son was born, uh, my wife is an amazing lady, full-blood Italian, very passionate, very emotional, very expressive. And she said to me when it was time for the first bath time, and this is about 10 days in that we were advised by the midwife, you know, don't bath for those the first week or two, let them just settle down. And she said, right, it's bath time, and you're doing the bath. And I said, no, <laughs> I think you got this wrong. That's not man's work. That's woman's work. And she went, no, <laughs> I, think, I think you've got this wrong. And we had this back and forth and eventually went, oh, I'll, I'll do it tonight. And I had so much inner resistance because of the model that I'd kind of grown up with. You know, that isn't a man's, man's work. And did the first bath time under duress, admittedly going, oh, yeah, can't wait for this to be over. Um, I've, got, I've got things to do. And uh, I had these little moments of connection where eyes would lock and there'd be a little kind of a knowingness between us. I'm thinking, this is really interesting. This is great. I'm, I'm, I'm bonding my son here. And that tradition continued, well, even today, you know, nine and seven, still, still do bar time with them. But I could have so easily missed that. And I'm sure that those little simple moments of, of heart-to-heart present connection make a huge amount of difference when you're bonding with your children and creating a model for them to, to kind of enter into the world with guidance. And, I, you know, I think a lot of people skim over those sort of things and then have a, a bit of remorse and regret when they look back. So um, the point is that, you know, I didn't suddenly have this epiphany turn to be the perfect dad, and I'm still not today. It's I had to surrender and, and put myself through different experiences that I wasn't really used to, given the model that I had. And that was brilliant for personal growth and development. Wonderful story. Absolutely. <laughs> it reminds me when my first son was born, I put the diaper on backwards. I had no idea. And my first husband, Bobby, he was such a diplomat. You know, he's like, wow, we have a son. You may want to turn that around. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, he was one of eight, so he had lots of experience, but he loved children. So, yeah, you know, I grew up in New Zealand where a man went to work and a woman had the home and a hearth type thing. But I'm curious, how did you come to write the book, David? Was it by choice or by chance? Oh, totally, totally conscious choice i would had a secret dream to, to write for many many years i mean decades but didn't really do very well at english at school and my previous attempts at writing 
based out of a publishing company with, with magazines, newspapers. Um, and I was, you know, the co-owner of that business. And once or twice I tried to write articles and not laughed out of town, but kind of politely advised I'm not really a writer. But I'd always had this little whisper that I wanted to write and express myself. And I ended up going into a coaching group, so paying money to be inside a group of people, led by a guy called Rich Lippin, who wrote a great book called The Prosperous Coach. Any coaches out there who are looking for a different perspective on how to grow a practice, really great, great book. And in the first or second session in this group, because I'd gone in for a different reason, it just came out and said, I said, and I want to write a book <laughs> about fatherhood and business and all that sort of stuff. And because I'd spoken out into the world, it was, oh, there's some accountability there now. And it was, it was like coming out. So I then started to get support and guidance in the group from other members who had written books and the founder of book coach and an editor. And, and the book started to, to take shape in different forms until I, I came up with the idea of writing a fictional tale about a business owner called Ben, who's married with a young child, Freddie. His wife, Rebecca, is under pressure six months pregnant too and he's totally overwhelmed he's he's kind of very lost like i was not a lot of the clients i've coached have been and i wanted to give people you know a book where they can read it and see themselves in it and realize you know there's nothing wrong with where they are but actually there is a path forward where you can transform to you know live and experience a different life through life leadership so um that's where the book kind of came from in its uh, origin if you like thank you for sharing i can forgive my word choice but commiserate about writing I was a C-plus student at high school, so I don't know how anyone let me into law school. I don't know how, many, <laughs> how anyone let me do my Master's of Arts focused on philanthropy. And worse yet, I was shocked that they let me do a doctorate in management around leadership. <laughs> <laughs> yet to be found out. <laughs> well, you know, I was frauding all the way, like, oh, my gosh, how could this be? You know, I was, be careful what you wish for. So I'm at that challenging crossroads where I finished the doctorate in 2016 and created the thought leadership practice around commercializing the IP, which um, I've paused since December last year and then pivoted during the pandemic to think, well, I love public speaking. I have all of this intellectual capital with four careers under my belt. What shall I do next? The perpetual, what do I want to be when I grow up? (laughs) Yeah, I know that one well. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, podcasting popped into my head and I'm like, what is a podcast? Huh, I've never listened to a podcast. This is June. (laughs) But just (laughs) felt that wind beneath my wings and, um, of course, got technically trampled and finally got my head above the parapet. But this is my secret dream. Perhaps I can take all of these transcripts, particularly the solo episodes, that centre often around my doctoral research and then run the book from there. (laughs) Why not? And if you love what you're doing, perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm loving the podcast and the creative side so much. It might be a while before that all comes out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to share with you, there's a song called The Cats in the Cradle. It's a 1974 folk rock song by Harry Chaplin in his album Verities and Balderdash, and it topped the U.S. Billboard 100 in December 1974. So, hey, 46 years later, we're still talking about it. But when I was um, reading your book, I was like, oh, my gosh, the cat's in the cradle, the cat's in the cradle, you know, in the first part, like, where's dad? Where's dad? And this has been an experience that I've had and I've seen in other generations 
in my family. So I found it really interesting, the resonance that I had with that. It's like, well, in the cats in the cradle, dad never gets it right. So I'm delighted that we have where's dad. So what I'm leading into are what are your thoughts around this new norm of here's dad because he's home working remotely and virtually. (laughs) What are your thoughts around this trend? And gosh, what are your clients thinking about all this? They, they have, well, people I've spoken to about it, they, they kind of have mixed views because if you're used to going to a place of, of work and you're not used to living in the virtual world. I mean, I've, I've been a virtual coach for almost a decade now, so it's kind of, it's, it's no, no change for me really. That's a lot of change someone to kind of go from leading a company in an office, having employees and being in person and, you know, seeing the kids friendly to, you know, the kids being there omnipresent, especially with homeschooling, which is happening in the UK probably still happening over the world now, I think, maybe in America. It's a lot, it's a lot to hold. And, and the feedback I've got is that, you know, it has two sides. So the challenge is time management and being able to put some healthy boundaries in place where, you know, dad still has a business to, to run and to provide for the family without having too many distractions during working time. That's been a perennial challenge for a lot of people. And the upside is, you know, they get to have breakfast with their children they get to have lunch with their children they get to have dinner with their children a lot of people who perhaps wouldn't do that and these little moments of presence and connection once again that can often be looked over that becomes the new norm and a lot of people now are kind of they've they've worked out the time management challenge and they don't really want to go back to the office full time and, and actually neither their staff the staff i speak to as well so I, I coach i coach coaches i coach business owners sometimes coach their teams too they're more productive and they're enjoying the work-life balancing more because they can be there for their children too. So I, I don't think it's been a bad thing. I, I think it's just been a period of transformation. And I don't, I don't think it will ever go back to being the same again based on the conversations that I've had. Or do we want to? Um, I have to confess to indigestion more at mealtimes though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I sometimes feel like I'm sitting down with barbarians, but You know, I'm kind of, I love your book cover. And I also remember commenting on it when you polled tribe that we're in. How did you come about that? You know, it's a resonating cover. Good pick. I'll show it on screen. So if someone's watching it, they have have like a visual point of reference. So here's the, here's the book cover. So you can probably see that as a, so it's a, it's a Lego, Lego Lego-ish figure illustrated of a dad looking overwhelmed at an office desk. And I can't take credit for the initial concept because I worked with a great cover designer called Carrie Brito and I had loads of different ideas for covers and I threw them all at Carrie and nothing was really popping because the ideas I had in my head when they were on paper, they didn't quite sing to me. And she found an image on like a stock photo website. So what about this? And I was like, that's it. You know, so we played with it and I actually, I couldn't find a way of investing in a similar image. So I created my own image. So I actually went to Lego in London, in uh, Leicester Square, which is a bit of a trek for me, went to the Lego store there, this is pre-pandemic, and said, look, here's, here's my front of my book. I need to buy these bits. And I had to spend a fortune on Lego just to get things like the briefcase and the computer screen, different Lego sets. Eventually got it all together. Then went to see a guy who's a friend of mine who has a photo studio and he's a videographer. I said, can you put these bits together like this? And he said, great. We had like 30 different examples. We found, I found the ones that right, that's, that's the one we're going to use. And then <laughs> I'm thinking, we've nailed this. 
And then about two weeks before going to press, someone said, have you checked out with Lego? And I went, no. And they said, well, you perhaps should do. And I reaching out to Lego, and this was in the pandemic, and could get no feedback. Like, what do I do? I can't hold at publishing. And speaking to lawyers, and they were saying, well, it's a bit of a gray area, you know, blah, 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 blah. Write a letter. And so I did that. Nothing. You know, tumbleweed. So I said, right, we can't hold this up. I said, let's go with the same image, but let's illustrate it. Can you do the outline and make it look like a child's drawing? Which then it kind of adds, adds to the cover because it's almost like a child's drawing the picture of, you know, where's dad? And it's also a Lego figure. So that's, that's the truth about how the cover came about. It wasn't like some inspired download. It was a, it was a creation over time with some obstacles, as, as all things are, right? So but I appreciate you referring to it and, and liking the cover. I call it a conscious journey in my lexicon because... I could feel the energy behind it, like it, it had definitely gone through a series of, well, a morphing sort of transcendency, but also like the title, it's three words, but it says everything. And your picture yeah. is the epitome of a thousand words. It says everything. I kind of wonder if dad's desk at home resembles the front cover of your book because <laughs> my granddaughter is into Barbies and dolls. So often when I'm doing things, she will have them all set up around me, you know, as my guests and bits and pieces, what needs to be there. Or, or I even have a doll that was traveling in the car with me with a seatbelt on for ages. I swap cars with my daughter. It's the only reason why I don't have a doll Brilliant. at the moment. <laughs> but I do want to give a shout out for your book. So just one second. David's sharing the first five chapters of this book, Where's Dad? So for a copy of the those chapters, visit www.davidfoster.coach forward slash book and there'll be a reference to that in the show notes as well because it's well worth having a read and it's very hard to resist reading the whole book it's very good very kind of you and actually if if you know going to a website is a bit challenging for someone if they'd rather send me a, an email you know they can email hello at davidfoster.coach and I'll, I'll reply back with the the sample chapters if that's easier fantastic I will get a copy of that for the show notes as well from you to make sure it's there. So, David, I want to bring up a point in organizing our time around this episode. I was seriously impressed when you had a firm and healthy boundary about the fact that you log off at 5.30 to be with family. And I, I'm seriously impressed with this, and I think it's really important okay. to share how you came to that decision because you've already confessed... <laughs> that when number one came along, you were a very busy person. So how did you come to make that decision and a little bit around the sort of thought process? So, and that's a great question, right? And I, I used to be incredibly disorganized and had very few boundaries and would work long hours into the night, early hours in the morning, early into email straight away. And I worked with a brilliant coach, a guy called Joseph Shapiro and others, but Joseph was a, a, an amazing coach spiritually, mentally, physically, and self-organization was one of his loves. So I gave him a brief so that I need to get my shit together. <laughs> this many years ago. And I learned a lot from him and other books I'd read. And one, one of the things I learned was that, you know, and from other teachers too, that if, if you don't prioritize your time and put healthy boundaries in place and kind of lead your area of life in that respect, including your calendar, then life will present you with lower priority items that are going to be distracting you from what's most meaningful to you. So I intentionally set out a schedule for me that was going to serve my life. And that goes down to, you know, finishing at a certain time for the children. 
so I can be there for dinner and for bar time and for reading the books and those sort of things. And also for me, for my own health and wellness, for exercise time, for getting up early for my morning routine when the house is silent, uh, for my coaching calls and my clients and my creation calls for writing those sort of things. I schedule everything. And, you know, that's not for everyone. But for me, I have found that structure to be imminently useful in just allowing me to be even more present and focused on the job in hand versus, you know, having boundaries that are just all over the place. And it wasn't, it wasn't without resistance. This is, I mean, this is, I don't think you can ever be like a Jedi when it comes to self-organization. I think it's like a lifelong journey of just tweaking and nudging and finding work. So even though I log off from the office around 5, 5.30, when the kids are in bed, if I have some things I've agreed to deliver that day, rather than let them encroach on the children's time and my wife's time, I would then happily log on for half an hour and hour at night because I love my profession of what I do. If I've made an agreement, so that's that's a, a system, a routine that tends to work for me. And everyone's different, but the point is, if if you don't stretch your day and prioritise it, you'll be swamped by things that just knock you off your centre, and you'll end up being a bit of a busy fool, which I was for many, many years. Well said, David. I actually, my doctorate took a U-turn, and I added time to my doctorate. What came clear to me was that I had been in the chaos of capitalism, and for me, that's being on chronos time or on the clock. Every, you know, being a lawyer, every six minutes had to be accounted for. You know, I worked for multinationals, so I was covering Europe through to California. So my day started at 4 a.m. and it finished probably midnight. So literally, there were only four hours my phone wasn't going off. And even then, that was debatable. But the experience of that at a time when that was the norm, I'm talking about the 80s and 90s and early noughties, that was the norm. But I stepped out of the corporate world and I started a social enterprise law firm, actually stepped down from being a general counsel, which was a bit of a shock to my peers, but I just felt so cool to do it. And I called the law firm Kairos. Kairos actually means to be on spiritual time. I had no Mm. idea the name just spoke to me. I didn't question it. I just... You know, all my branding became Kairos and a couple of doves. And it was actually a photo of doves I'd taken at my daughter's wedding where they released the doves. And I was fumbling so badly with my camera. The camera caught the doves as they flew out of the basket. (laughs) So I got the perfect (laughs) shot trying to drop my camera (laughs) so that became my logo. And it wasn't until probably about three years later, I looked at Kronos and Kairos, which are the twin gods of Zeus which mean to be on, you know, in the time of chaos as Kronos or on spiritual time as Kairos. So it was quite informative and sort of coming, becoming consciously aware. And then in my doctorate, because it was around leadership and I was trying to balance, find the fulcrum point between the sacred money market and people and planet. So I kind of, you know, got to put time at the top of my theorizing. But now I've realized since the turn of the century, I have been very pointedly living on Kairos time and for a period of that unknowingly and as I became aware now I'm unwilling to not do that I'm very carefully working my way around (laughs) once things start getting chaotic I kind of step back don't try to do more being a human doing 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 is actually one of my super genius talents that I don't want to own anymore (laughs) human being is where I try to be So with the pandemic estimated to sort of rule our lives for possibly another 12 to 18 months, 
I would love for you to share with global leaders the impact of working remotely and virtually since you've got a decade under your belt. Could you share kind of your expertise and how to pivot any suggestions for dads that you could contribute to the conversation? Any tips, tricks that you like to use? Yeah, but I, I can share whatever is, is present for me. The first thing is I, I don't subscribe to the belief or the notion that the pandemic is ruling our lives. I think that's a matter of perception. We can't control external events, the things that happen outside. We can, we can control with uh, our own mindfulness and our own presence and our own self-awareness and deep work, you know, how we self-regulate and self-govern inside, no matter what's happening on the outside. So the first, the first thing is to, I think, this is how I approach things, is to not see the pandemic as something that is attacking me or impacting me or a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a thing that's happening. It's the context of the world. And that has two sides. That has upsides and downsides. It has benefits and drawbacks, as our friend Dr. John often talks about. So the first thing I'll do is, is slow down. If you're thinking and feeling that actually this has caused you a lot of perceived pain and is, is controlling you, is to look at the other side and write down all the benefits of the pandemic that's to your financial life, to your business life, to your familial life, to your social impact leadership life, to your spiritual well-being, to your mental life, those sort of things. Because I guarantee when you do the work, there'll be benefits and drawbacks to that. So that's the first thing. And the second thing when it comes to working remotely, hints and tips and tricks, is it's different to working in an office, right? So where a lot of leaders, I think, tend to fall down is they think because they're geographically distant from their teams that they've got to micromanage more, they've got to be on their case more and in their face and Zooming every day and doing this and making sure they're doing the work because they can't see them working. And that can breed like an inner insecurity as in, am I getting value from my staff? Are they doing the work? So one of the things that can be really useful is actually learning to embed in the culture of the, of the new norm, the virtual business, leading through agreement with your team members and your, and your peers. So rather than having, say, five, six, ten meetings a week where you're, you know, almost micromanaging or supervising, have one meeting, a kickoff meeting every week where you slow down and create some solid agreements your team can actually adhere to and they give their word to completing. And so they find it inside themselves to actually follow through on what they've agreed to. People, people don't like to break their agreements if they're solid and tight agreements. So learning to lead by agreement and managed by agreeing is a really great skill to have when you're physically distant or geographically apart. And, and yeah, focus on the outcome you want to create with your team. Because if you're really clear on what value you would like them to provide to you as an outcome, and they agree they can do it, I don't really care as a leader how they do it. As long as it's within the, the guidelines of our values and you know various etiquettes, those sort of things, all I care about is the quality and the outcome and the deadline, right? And I, I don't mind if they... If they work 10 hours at home where they'd work 30 hours in the office, as long as the outcome that I would like them to create that gives me value is a fair exchange and that, that's reached. So there's, there's a couple of things I think can be really useful. Well said and well, I'm sure will be well received. In my thought leadership, I've been developing work around encouraging leaders to move from hierarchy to wirearchy. And for mm. that, there's got to be a high level of trust and willingness and consciousness. So I love your tips. Thank you for that. I see you. <laughs> Thank you. You're a Demartini Certified Values Trainer. How in your journey did you come to choose that path? <laughs> um, good question. So 
I um I have a very dear friend. He's like a you know a soul brother or a brother from another mother, a guy called Rich Schneider, who a few years ago said to me, he sent me an email and said, because we'd trained as coaches and and done collaborative workshops and became very very close. And he said, hey, there's this guy I've heard about who is off the charts, and he he blends sort of the spiritual world with the, the physical world, and he's really bright and quantum physics, and you know he's a real deal. I've got two friends who have. They're very, very high up in his organization who have, who have been taught by him for many years. And they, you know, I trust these people in my life and they say he's a real deal. He said, what do you think? And he sent me a link and I looked at this, this website. I was like, he looked at the guys in a suit, nice sort of silk ties. And, you know, he's, you know, he, he kind of looked like he was a little bit stuck in the, the 90s or the 80s, you know. And I was and I, straight away, you know, judging mine as in, well, he looks like, hey, he can't help me for some reason. It's for some odd reason, right? We made these stupid choices. But intuitively, sort of voice said, well, you know, just what have you got to lose? So I went to one of his weekends, a breakthrough experience. It's his signature program, like intro program. I was blown away by the guy and his knowledge and his heart and his expertise and the community. And then I chose to invest in several more programs. And the values thing's really cool to me because when I first started this exploration into to values, when I was a, a business coach and helping people with their businesses, create their values and their own personal values, I love that work and that conversation around values and purpose, but it always felt a little bit like thin soup. There was, it was great, and you know, any values are better than no values on a company wall, for example. I'm, I'm being glib here, but, but it, it felt there was something missing. And Demartini provided me with a missing piece because I, I knew there was more to this whole conversation. So when I learned to be a values trainer or a values facilitator, it helped me understand on a deep level that that's probably one of the most important things you can do as a human being is to get really crystal clear on what your intrinsic drivers are. Not the ones that you think you have, your traits, like, you know, I'm, I'm honest, I have integrity, I'm loyal. That, they're traits. Now, people are never always honest. They're honest at times. They can be dishonest. When you get clear on your intrinsic values and you give yourself permission to be yourself and own the whole of you for being a unique individual, magnificent things can come, not just with what's created in the external world, but just how you feel on the inside when you give yourself permission to be yourself. So it's a large part of the work that I do. I help people take off the masks they're wearing and give themselves permission to be themselves and create from that place. And the values work has been absolutely instrumental in that, having those kind of authentic conversations. Very powerful, very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I'd really like to hear about, if you're willing, one of your toughest struggles as a coach and an author, any area of your life where you thought you just weren't going to get through, but you you somehow did. Is there a story? You're such a good storyteller. <laughs> um, God, there's thousands. I mean, there's literally thousands. So specifically as a coach or an author? It's wide open. I'm sure whatever okay. story you tell will be a brilliant one. So this, this is when, before I chose to get into coaching professionally, I decided to create a suite of businesses with, a, with another guy had what's called an entrepreneurial seizure. And I was, I was chasing what I now call conventional success and wanted to, to be seen as someone successful and, and be seen as a millionaire. And be, you know, with that, would then hopefully in my, in my world, my thinking at the time, give me approval from other people and make me feel special. And you know, I'd get pats on the head from mum and dad and siblings. And, and on that journey, there was, there was always something missing for me. And, and what happened over the course of many, many years had success and then failure, success, failure. And at my lowest ebb, two weeks before my first son was born, and bear in mind, we'd had four miscarriages over the previous two or three years, which I think were actually uh, linked to the 
stress and the anxiety in the household because the business was our main business was kind of tanking off the back of the recession. We were just so undercooked, so underprepared, and didn't really know what we were doing. Two weeks before our first son was born, I was sitting in a hotel, uh, the Radisson Hotel at Santos Airport, with my business partner, with a, with a, a liquidation lawyer, basically liquidating the company, the main company, with a view to starting it again. It was what's called a, a rebirth of a company, and you buy the assets back and start again and give it a lick of paint and see what you can do. And I sat there. And because uh, our, our houses were on the line, both our houses were security against these loans. And I sat there and thought, well, this, you know, I, I could be literally signing my house away here. Oh, and I've got a baby due in two weeks. And I just didn't know what to do and where to turn. You know, so once again, when my first son came along, it was just like such a waking up experience. I was like, you know what? I'm kind of done with this. This, this isn't working for me this whole life of, of chasing this thing that I think is going to make me feel better on the inside, this conventional success. I wanted to live a life where I was doing things that I loved and would be able to come home and, and not put the baggage that I was carrying onto my son. Because as a child, I felt the impact of what wasn't being said in the household with all the stress and anxiety from, the, from dad and his business and mum. And I didn't want to play that game. I didn't know what I wanted to do yet. I didn't want to play the game. So that, that was a particularly difficult time. And the ensuing 11 months where I was handing over the reins to the business and gently easing myself out with a view to getting a payday by someone who was coming in to buy the shares, that didn't materialize. I ended up walking away with nothing and lots, lots of debts. But I knew I was on the right path. So those times were particularly difficult professionally for me, but they gave me a real insight into what it's like to be a business owner and a dad, right, and be under pressure. No matter how bad you think things are, there's always a tomorrow. There's always a tomorrow. So that's just one story. I've got loads of stories. You know, I'm by no means perfect. <laughs> well, having survived recessions and redundancies and all sorts of things, in hindsight, they were my best learning. They were also yes. my best expression of moving into a better self on, on a more purposeful path. Thank you for sharing the story. I'd like to offer you um, the opportunity to share about your services or any other thoughts with the listeners. You're very welcome to promote. <laughs> is, this, is this where I advertise? You can. I need, I need a jingle, Michelle. I need some sort of like catchy. And so I specialize in, in helping coaches and experts grow prosperous and independent coaching practices full of great clients without sacrificing balance in their life. That may mean nothing to some people. So in simpler terms, I'm a life and a business coach for coaches, really, helping them empower all those of life and create a really healthy practice where they're making a difference to the world, where they're finding their voice and expressing themselves through creation of clients and maybe books and, and a really healthy profession that serves their life. Um, I also work with a handful of ambitious business owners, but my main focus now is working with coaches. So, But I'm always open to, to conversation. So if you're someone who feels stuck in life and there's something that's resonated with you on today's interview, or if you read the book, you always feel free to reach out to me on any social media platform, Facebook or LinkedIn or the email address that I've given earlier on to, to Michelle. And we can have a conversation. And if I can't help you, I know a lot of coaches, um, great coaches, and I would happily refer you. David, I'm very grateful for your contribution and being of service in the world and the opportunity to feature you as a guest. I've been a big fan since the book came out and yeah, we share some very like-minded interests in the tribe we run with, but thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. I love what you're doing in the world. Love how you've grasped this new 
venture of yours of podcasting going all in and I'm just really grateful that you would have me on your show and I hope it's been useful. As a steward of meaningful leadership in the world and wider cosmos, I have a passion for service through sharing wisdom, strength and hope. Thank you for the opportunity to foster open conversation, discussions and an exchange of ideas that create understanding and connection among diverse groups. Your support is valued. Please subscribe, leave a review and a rating. More importantly, share with your connections. Thank you.